Chapter Twenty Five of Ideala. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Amy Vandenberg. Ideala by Sarah Grand. Chapter Twenty Five. I went to consult my sister Claudia. The blow was a heavy one for her also, but I was surprised to find that she did not share my contempt for the person whom I considered responsible for all this trouble. Ideal is no common character herself, Claudia argued, and it isn't likely that a common character would fascinate her as this man has done. Will you speak to her, Claudia, and see what your influence will do? It is no use my speaking to her, she answered disconsolately. Ideala is a much cleverer woman than I am. She would make me laugh at my own advice in five minutes. And, besides, if she be infatuated, as you say she is, she will be only too glad to be allowed to talk about him and that will strengthen her feeling for him. No, she has chosen you for her confidant, and you better talk to her yourself, and may you succeed, she added, laying her head on the table beside which she was sitting, and giving way to a burst of grief. I tried to comfort her, but I had little hope myself, and I could not speak at all confidently. I believe, Claudia said before we parted, that there is nothing for her now but a choice of two evils. If she gives him up, she will never care for anything again, and if she does not, she will have done an unjustifiable thing, and life after that for such a woman as Ideala would be like one of those fairy gifts which are bestowed subject to some burdensome condition that made the good of them null and void. I did not meet Ideala again until the evening, and then I was not sorry to see that her manner was less serene. It was just possible that she had been thinking over what I had said, and that some of the doubts I had suggested were beginning to disturb her perfect security. After dinner, she brought the conversation round to those social laws which govern our lives arbitrarily. I did not see what she was driving at, neither did the good old bishop, who was one of the party, nor a lawyer who was also present. "'You want to know something,' said the later. "'What is it? You must state your case clearly.' "'I want to know if a thing can be legally right and morally wrong,' Ideal answered. "'Of course not,' the bishop rashly asserted. "'That depends,' the lawyer said cautiously. "'If I signed a contract,' Ideal explained, "'and found out afterwards that those who induced me to become a party to it "'had kept me in ignorance of the most important clause in it, "'so that I really did not know to what I was committing myself, "'would you call that a moral contract?' "'I should say that people had not dealt uprightly with you,' the bishop answered. "'But there might be nothing in the clause to which you could object.' "'But suppose there was something in the clause to which I very strongly objected, "'something of which my conscience disapproved, "'something that was repugnant to my whole moral nature, "'and suppose I was forced by the law to fulfill it nevertheless. "'Should you say that was a moral contract? "'Should you not say that in acting against my conscience I acted immorally?' We all fell into the trap and looked an encouraging assent. And in that case, she continued, I suppose my duty would be to evade the law and act on my conscience. The bishop looked puzzled. I should only be doing what the early martyrs had to do, she added. That is true, he rejoined with evident relief. But I don't see what particular contract you are thinking of, said the lawyer. The marriage contract, Ideala answered calmly. This announcement created a sensation. The lawyer laughed. The bishop looked grave. Oh, but you cannot describe marriage in that way, he declared with emphasis. Hmm, the lawyer observed meditatively. I am afraid I must beg to differ from your lordship. Many women might describe their marriages in that way with perfect accuracy. 
Marriages are made in heaven, the bishop ejaculated feebly. Let us hope that some are, dear bishop, Claudia sweetly observed, and all the married people in the room looked amen at her. I think an ideal of marriage should be fixed by law, and lectures given in all the colleges to teach it, Idiola went on, and a standard of excellence ought to be set up for people to attain to before they could be allowed to marry. They should be obliged to pass examinations on the subject and fit themselves for the perfect state by a perfect life. It should be made a reward for merit, and a goal towards which goodness only could carry us. Then marriages might seem to have been made in heaven, and the blessing of God would sanctify a happy union, instead of being impiously pronounced in order to ratify a business transaction, or sanction the indulgence of a passing fancy. But only the love that lasts can sanctify marriage, and a marriage without such love is an immoral contract. Marriage in a moral contract! the bishop exclaimed oh dear oh dear this is not right you know this is not at all right i must make a note of this i really must you are in the habit of saying things of this sort my dear i remember you said something like it once before and really it is not a subject to joke about such an idea is quite pernicious it must not be allowed to spread even as a joke i wish my dear you had not promulgated it even in that spirit you have uh, a knack of making things seem plausible and of giving weight to opinions by the way you express them although the opinions themselves are quite erroneous, as on the present occasion. Some of your ideas are so very mistaken, you know, and you really ought to leave these matters to those who understand them and can judge. It is very dangerous to discuss such subjects, especially uh, when you know nothing about them and uh, cannot judge. I really must preach a sermon on the subject. Let me see. Next Sunday. Ah, yes, next Sunday, if you will kindly come and hear me. We all thanked him as enthusiastically as we could. Later, I found Idiala alone in one of the conservatories. She took my arm affectionately, and we walked up and down for a time in silence. She was smiling and happy, so happy indeed, that I found it hard to say anything to disturb her. For a moment I felt almost as she did about the steps she proposed to take. There had been little joy in her life, and she had borne her cross long and bravely. What wonder that she should rebel at last and claim her reward? "'Do you remember how you used to talk about the women of the nineteenth century, Idiala?' I said at last, "'and describe the power for good which they never use, and rail at them as artificial, milliner-made, man-hunting, self-indulgent animals?' "'I know,' she answered. "'And now you would say I am worse than any of them? "'I used to have big ideas about women and her mission, but I always looked at the question broadly, as it affects the whole world.' Now my vision is narrowed, and I see only with regard to one individual, but I am sure that is the right way to look at it. I think every woman will have to answer for one man's soul, and it seems to me that the noblest thing a woman can do is to devote her life to that soul first of all, to raise it if it be low, to help it to peace if peace be lacking, and to gather all the sunshine there is in the world for it, and after that, if her opportunities and powers allow her to help others also, she should do what she can for them. I do not know all the places which it is legitimate for a woman to fill in the world, but it seems to me that they are many and various, and that the great object in life for a woman is to help. To be a Pericles, I see that a man must have an Aspasia. Was Aspasia vile? Some said so. Yet she did a noble work, and was finer in her fall, if she fell, than many good women in all the glory of uprightness are. And was she impure? Then it is strange that her mind was not corrupting in its influence." and was she low then whence came her power to raise others it seems to me that it only rests with ourselves to make any position in life 
which circumstances render it expedient for us to occupy, desirable. And you propose to be an Aspasian to this modern Pericles? If you like to put it so, the cases are not dissimilar as there was an obstacle in the way of their marriage also. The law was the obstacle. Yes, another of those laws which are more honored in the breach than in the observance. They might not marry because she came from Miletus, and Lorimer may not marry me because I came out of the house of bondage. Unwise laws make immoral nations. But you have gone about this business in such an extraordinary way, Idiala, I said. You seem to have tried to make it appear as bad for yourself as you can. Why did you not leave your husband when Lorimer advised you to? If I had gone, then I should have been obliged to live somewhere else, a long way from Lorimer, and I might never see him again. And do you mean to say you decided to endure a life that has been hateful to you in every way, simply for the sake of seeing this gentleman occasionally? Yes. Ah, you do not know how good he is, nor how he raises me. I never knew the sort of creature I was until he told me. He said once, when we quarreled, that I was fanciful, sentimental, lackadaisical, hysterical, and in an unhealthy state of mind. And yet, I made a gesture of impatience, and she stopped. But Idiala, I asked her after a little pause, have you never felt that what you are doing is wrong? I cannot say that exactly, she answered. I knew that certain social conventions forbade the thing. At least I began to acknowledge this to myself after a time. At first, you know, I thought of nothing. I was wholly absorbed in my desire to see him. That excluded every other consideration. Do you know what it is to be sure that a thing is wrong, and yet not to be able to feel it so? To have your reason acknowledge what your conscience does not confirm? I made no answer, and we were silent for a little. Then she spoke again. One day when I was in Japan, she said, I was living up in the hills at Hakone, a village on a lake 3,000 feet above the level of the sea. The mayor of the village was entertaining me, and whenever I went out he sent his son and several of his retainers as an escort, that I might not be subject to annoyance or insult from strangers. One day I was crossing the hills by a mountain path there is between Hakone and Miyanoshita, and after I passed Ashinoyo, where the sulphur springs are, I found myself in a dense fog. I could not see anything distinctly three yards in front of me. Keshiwaya and the other men never walked with me. They used to hover about me, leaving me to all intents and purposes alone if I preferred it. The Japanese are very delicate in some things. It was weeks before I knew that I had a guard of honor at all. On that particular day I lost sight of them altogether, but I could hear them calling to each other through the fog, and I sat down feeling very wretched and lonely. I thought how all the beauty of life had been spoiled for me, how past, present, and to come, it was all a blank, and I wished in my heart that I might die and know no more. And do you know, just at that moment, the fog beneath me parted, and I saw the sea, sapphire blue and dotted with boats, and the sand a streak of silver, and the green earth, and a low horizon of shining clouds, and over all the sun. Dear Lord in heaven, how glad a sight it was! She pressed her handkerchief to her eyes. And I was wandering, she continued, in some such mental mist, lost and despairing, when Laura Mare came into my life and changed everything for me in a moment, like the sun. Would you have me believe that he was sent to me then only for an evil purpose? That the good God, in whom I scarcely believed, until in his mercy he allowed me to feel love for one of his creatures, and to realize through it the divine love of which it is surely the foreshadowing, would you have me believe myself degraded by love so sent? 
would you have me turn from it and call it sin when i feel that god himself is the giver i was silent not knowing how to answer her presently i asked but why not have a legal separation a divorce from your husband now i cannot she answered sadly at one time i had written proof of his turpitude but i could not make up my mind to use it then and i destroyed it eventually so that now my word would be the only evidence against him and that would not do i suppose although you all know better than i do i fancy what his life has been other people by this time had come into the conservatory and we were therefore obliged to change the subject in the days that followed every one seemed to become conscious of some impending trouble we were all depressed and one by one our party left us until at last only idiala remained for we had not the heart to ask other guests even if it had been expedient and under the circumstances claudia did not consider it so idiala spent much of her time in writing to lorimer some of these letters were never sent i fancy she wrote exactly as she felt and often feared when she had done so that she had been too frank how these two ever came to such an understanding i am at a loss to imagine and i have searched in vain for any clue to the mystery only one thing is plain to me that when at last idiala understood her feeling for lorimer she cherished it after she found that her husband had broken every tie disregarded every obligation legal and moral that bound her to him she seems to have considered herself free but i feel quite sure she had not acknowledged this even to herself when she returned to lorimer and that simply because she had not contemplated the possibility of being asked to take any decided step when the time came however she apparently never questioned her right to act on this fancied freedom the circumstances under which they had met were probably reasonable for a great deal the whole of their acquaintance had had something unusual about it which would normally predispose their minds to further unaccustomed issues when any question of right or expediency arose the restrictions which men and women have seen fit to place upon their intercourse with each other are the outcome of ages of experience and they who disregard them bring upon themselves the troubles against which those same restrictions irksome at times as they must be are the only adequate defence one letter i have here shows something of the strength and tenderness of idiala's devotion and i venture to think that even under the circumstances it must be good for a man to have been loved once in his life like that the letter begins abruptly oh the delight of being able to write you she says without fear and without constraint if it were possible to step from the dreary oppression of the northern midnight into the full blaze of the southern noon the transition would not be greater than is the sense of rest and relief that has come to me after the weary days which are over do you know i never believed that any one person could be so much to another as you are to me that any one could be so happy as i am i think i am too happy but dear i want you i want you always but most of all when anything good or beautiful moves me i feel nearer to you then and i know you would understand every good thought every worthy aspiration everything that is best in me and every possibility of better things seems due to your influence and makes me crave for your presence you have been the one thing wanting to me my whole life long i believe that no soul is perfect alone and that each of us must have a partner soul somewhere kept apart from us by false marriages perhaps or distance or death but still to be ours if not in this state then in some other when both are perfect enough to make the union possible we are not all fit for that love which is the beginning of heaven and can have no end does this seem fanciful to you it would comfort me if we were ever separated if i cannot tell you how it makes my heart sink just to look at that word although i know it does not suggest anything that is possible in our case 
what power would take you from me now when there is no one else in the whole wide world for me but you and always you and only you you with your ready sympathy and perfect refinement your wit your rapid changes your ideality your kindness your cruelty and the terrible discontent which makes you untrue to yourself you are my world but unless i can be to you what you are to me you will always be one of the lonely ones tell me again that my absence makes a blank in your life you did not write the word you only left a space and do you know how i filled it at first it was such a relief when you left off coming i read and i raged at you i have heard it said lately that you are fickle but these people do not understand you you are true to your ideal but the women you have hitherto known are only so imperfect realizations of it and so you went from one to the other always searching but never satisfied and you have it in you to be so much happier or so much more miserable than other men i should have trembled for you if your hopes had never been realized but what would satisfy you i often long to be that mummy you have in the great hospital the one with the short nose and thick lips when you looked at me spirit and flesh would grow one with delight and i should come to life and grow round and soft and warm again and talk to you of thebes and you would be enchanted with me you could not help it then i should be so old so very old and genuine dear how i laugh at my fears now or rather how i bless them if i had never known the horror of doubt how could i have known what sincerity is and i did doubt you i dare acknowledge it now i wonder if you can understand what the shame of that doubt was when i thought your absence and your silence were intentional slights i knew how they felt when they called on the rocks to cover them and i wished oh how i wished that a thousand years had passed and my spirit could be at the place where we met and see the pillars broken and the ivy climbing over the ruins and the lizards at home amongst them and the shameless sunlight making bare the spot where we stood it was as if i had been punished for some awful unknown sin and when i seemed to be dying and i dared not write to you and all hope of ever knowing the truth had departed i used to exclaim in my misery verily lord if thy servant sinned she hath suffered for the anguish of death has been doubled and the punishment of the lost has begun while yet the tortured mind can make its lament and moan with the tortured body but all that bitter past only enhances the present i wonder where you will be to-day i believe you are always in that room of yours you only leave it to walk to the station with me after which you go back to it and work there till it is dark and then you rest waiting for the daylight and when it comes you go to work again i cannot fancy you anywhere else i should not like to realize that you have an existence of which i can know nothing a life through which i cannot follow you even in imagination but sometimes you come to me and then how glad i am you come to me and kiss me and it is night and i am dreaming and not ashamed yes the days do drag on slowly for all i am never quite happy never at peace even never for a moment except when i am with you i am sorry i feel so for it seems ungrateful in the face of all the kindness and care that is being lavished on me by my friends one lady here has seven children another instance of the unequal distribution of the good things of this world she has lent me one of them to comfort me because i am jealous he sleeps in my room and is a fair-haired boy with eyes that remind me of you will he also when he grows up have the conscience of a saint among his warring senses i hope not i should think that when sense and conscience are equally delicate and apt to thrill simultaneously life must be a burden would such a state of things account for moods that vary perpetually i wonder here she breaks off and i think these last reflections account for the fact that the letter was never sent End of chapter 25